have questions about your health? A simple pill won't fix your problems. And there's so many points and opinions on the internet that a web search just leaves you more confused. So why not take the time and listen to those who know best? Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective right here and now. So let's bring it to your host, Dr. Jonathan Carp, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. One zero seven seven the Bronx, one zero seven seven the Bronx dot com, proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters two thousand and nineteen Marconi Award for best college radio station. We are live from the Killarney's Public House Studios at Ryder University. Welcome to Health four one one. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Carp. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute presents Health four one one, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the business of health and healthcare. I am in the studio today with Antonia Conti, our producer, and our guest, Michael Bruska, who is an attorney with David and Bruska here in the local area in Mercer County, and we'll hear more about that. And our topic today has to do with nursing homes and sort of the, some of the issues and some of the elder, potential elder abuse that happens in nursing homes, so on the business side of healthcare. And we will get into those details and we will talk about it. Um, but first, uh, Michael, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me on your show. Can you please tell us for our listeners a little bit about your background, starting maybe when you were a college student, what you studied, and how you, to give us a transition of how you ended up being an expert in sort of the legal issues uh, associated with nursing homes? Well, my background is really straightforward and traditional. So I went to Penn State and I graduated with a degree in horticulture. And when I graduated from school, I went on and I uh, worked in a nursery and I, I, I raised cut flowers as a farmer. Wow. Yeah, very two cool. years. That, that's, a, that's a very long way from the legal profession. Yeah, I tell people I'm like Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. So then uh, I had done that for a few years and I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to go to law school. So I did all the things required for that and I applied and I got into Temple oh. and I, I guess you'd consider me a non-traditional student. There weren't many farmers at Temple, suffice to say. Okay. It was just me, pretty much. That was it. And you were a little bit older than the, the typical beginning law student who might go right out from college. I was. Yeah. And I think that made a big difference. Yes. Probably a positive bit difference. Absolutely. Yeah, a little bit more mature. You knew what was going on, a little more focused. Right. I mean, I had been farming prior to that, which isn't exactly light duty. So to come back to school and read books and discuss legal philosophy for a few hours a day, that was really pleasant. <laughs> I felt happy to be there. So you enjoyed it, yes. I did, yes. It was fun. Okay, and, and so after law school, what did you do? So after law school, I worked for a large firm for about eight months, and then I, I was served as a judge advocate in the United States Air Force for five, five and a half years. And what does a judge advocate do? Right, so you've seen the movie A Few Good Men. I don't know if you know this mm -hmm. one with Tom Cruise yes. and Jack Nicholson. That, that was my job. I started out as a military prosecutor. I uh, was stationed at Langley Air Force Base. I did other tasks, too, when I was there as well. And then I m was sent then to Japan for three years, to northern Japan in Misawa Air Base, where I lived. There I started out as a prosecutor, and then I deployed to Al-Udid Air Base in Qatar, and I was there for about six months, and I was kind of the district attorney 
for Qatar, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia. And then when I came back, I switched to defense lawyer, and then I defended service members for the rest of my time in the Air Force. Oh, very nice. Mm. But there aren't a lot of service members who are in nursing homes. <laughs> so, so, so how did this very interesting career lead you to be an expert in, in nursing home law? Uh, well, when I came out of the service, we just had the economic issues in the United States. In 2009, I got out. It was a difficult time finding a job. I basically stumbled into this position at a, at a law firm, and uh, I was interested in the work. And my mom had passed away from cancer in 2009, so I'd been kind of in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started doing the nursing home work at a firm, and then I started my own law firm about two, three years ago with Mark Davis and I. Great, and that's that's David and Bruska. Davis, Davis and Bruska. You got it. Here, and you have several offices and located mm -hmm. around the state of New Jersey. That's right. Okay. So you got introduced to this area of law, I guess, when you were an associate at, at, at this very, very large law firm. You got good enough at it and said, I can do this. That's right. And you and, you and your partner set out. So can you tell us a little bit about the area of law in which you are an expert in. Yeah, so... In, Let it be your words instead of my words. That's fine, that's okay. fine, and and it's a broad subject. So uh, if you take the, the spectrum of care in a linear line, and all the way to the left you have independent living, and these are folks that just require small assistance. They live more or less independently, or you might hear it called senior housing, or senior apartment living or something like that. And there may be a common vehicle they share, takes them to the grocery store. My old neighbor moved into one of these communities and loved it. And uh, everyone in there is in relatively good health for their age and reasonably independent, and they don't require much assistance. Then if you go all the way to the right end of that spectrum, you have skilled nursing facilities. That's what we call nursing homes or rehabs. And this is the highest level of care that people require. Many people are significantly impaired cognitively, where they have really significant physical limitations so they cannot live safely on their own. In the middle of independent living and skilled nursing, you have assisted living. And that's a whole other show in of itself. Assisted living is kind of the Wild West out there. Uh, it can mean <laughs> different things to different right. people in different places. And uh, skilled nursing facilities have a federal uh, regulatory code they have to follow. So you can go to a nursing home in New Jersey or Oklahoma or Texas or California, and it the level of care that's expected is the same. Assisted living can vary depending on what side of town you happen to be on. Interesting. And so a, a community that we sometimes hear in our, in our area called the progressive communities might have all three of those things that you mentioned, independent living, assisted living, and skilled nursing, all, all in one place. Right. But there certainly are places that specialize in one or the other. Right. Yeah. So those are uh, continuing care retirement communities, or CCRCs, we call them. And okay. they basically will cater to uh, just the elderly population in general. And the idea is that you can achieve what's known as, in quotation marks, aging in place. That is, you can try to stay in the same place regardless of the level of care you require, or at least on the same campus. And so they're becoming more popular for sure. But there's certainly plenty of standalone nursing home facilities. And you are an attorney. So right. just for our listeners, are you on a, a sort of a, the, on the business side of the, you know, independent living, assisted living, skilled nursing, or are you sort of outside of that sort of corporate attorney? Correct. I'm definitely not a corporate <laughs> attorney. I'm a plaintiff's attorney. I represent families where someone has been 
neglected, abused, or suffered negligence in a nursing home or assisted living facility. I do sometimes other things. For example, occasionally um, we'll do uh, group home cases. I, I, I can tell some horror stories in those. Those are where you have disabled people living in a collective environment. Oh, wow. I handle those types of abuse claims as well, uh, occasionally hospital or medical malpractice. But the bulk of my practice for the last 10 years has been focused in nursing homes primarily, and then occasionally I have assisted living facility cases as well. Okay. And so just to put it out there for somebody listening is you are one of the people that if something goes wrong, if I had a family member in one of these facilities and something goes wrong, you're the kind of person that we would contact to hopefully make it right before something really bad happens or if something really bad happens, follow up. And we'll get more details into that. But is that in a sense what your expertise is? That's right. Primarily, something terrible has happened, and almost all my actions are wrongful death actions. And then families come to see an attorney like me, and then we represent the estate and try to usually just give the family some answers about what happened and get them some accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is these issues, just the, I don't want to have a lot of numbers here, but I did look up some numbers. Um, and what, the, what we're going to talk about in today's segments is really, really important because the number of elderly people in our country is booming. And um, I mean, I looked up the U.S. Census and it says there's more people over the age 65 than any other time, you know, in the, in the last 10 years. Um, and in the United States, it's like 40.2 million people who are over the age of 65. That's about 13 percent of us. Um, and it's the estimates that I'm, I'm going to say here, by the year 2050, it's, the estimate is about 20% of all Americans are going to be 65 years um, of age or older. And while many of us are aging very positively, and there's a lot of energetic and strong and you know virile 65-year-olds, um, some of us, when we get older, especially when we get up into the 80s and things, lose some of our independence and lose our abilities to you know function on our own. And so the kinds of facilities that you're talking about are going to be more and more important in in society as a whole. And there's sort of a mix because these are great facilities theoretically because they take care of our elders in in society, which we should have some respect for. Um, But they also are businesses and businesses exist to make money. And those two things are not always in match with each other. That's a true statement. That's a very true statement. So what we're going to be talking about today is sort of, you know, where sort of the 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 emotion and the the need to take care of our elderly folks in our society, which I think people would agree is a good thing, meets the business world and things don't always go well. Hence this I would call it a booming area of of elder law. Um, that you're sort of involved in. Am I saying it right? No, you got it. An (laughs) apropos statement is the baby boomers that are moving into that uh, demographic. And so there is a, that's one of the reasons you've seen an explosion in assisted living facilities recently, but now most of those folks are going to retire. We're going to require a a higher level. They're going to move in that transition that you were talking about before. Excellent. Um, And we will follow this up. Uh, We'll be right back with more healthcare talk after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077 thebronxcom A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. 
1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronkcom live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Karp. We are in the studio today talking with Michael Brusco, a local attorney with an expertise in nursing homes. And uh, we started to talk about nursing homes becoming a larger and larger segment of sort of the healthcare world and the business world. And um, um, Michael gets called into these things when we put people in nursing homes and things go wrong. Can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that go wrong in nursing homes that, that sort of make up your legal practice? So the overwhelming majority of my cases are negligence claims and neglect, usually as a direct result of understaffing. And it doesn't surprise the average layperson because staffing is the largest expense for any nursing home. So when it comes to boosting your profits, mm -hmm. well, that's certainly a sector where you can uh, you can cut out some of those expenses. And unfortunately, that's to the detriment of the residents in these cases. And it's this is a known fact. Yeah, and it's not just a nurse. It's in a lot of industries. It's even in academia here at universities. You know, a one way when, when budgets get tight, one of the easiest ways to do it is cut personnel. In big companies, cut personnel. You make more money, more salary for the officers, things like that. But in here, when your business is like taking care of people who don't can't take care of themselves, that can be an issue. It's catastrophic. Yeah. And ultimately, you're right. It, it, look, if you have a pencil factory and you have to cut some of your staff, well, you're just making less pencils. Unfortunately, when you're in the business of caring for these very vulnerable people mm. and you cut staff, the outcomes are pretty horrific. Mm. And I say that, too, given that there is this uh, that the nursing home care is actually improved in this country as from back when I was a young person. Uh, my I had a terrible experience with my grandfather in a nursing home when I was a boy. And I can tell you, I would go with my mom to visit with him frequently. Even though I was young, I still remember how that place smelled. Smell, yep, I, I have the same, you have that smell as the first thing that you register. That's right. The power of factory memory, absolutely. That's yeah. right, and my, my grandfather was essentially putting a diaper and tied mm -hmm. to a chair. And uh, hor horrible. Yep. Uh, so the care is better than it was back in the 80s, but there's a lot of shortcomings. We well, can some, certainly do a better job. Well, somebody on the outside, and then, somebody like me, and says, well, aren't there laws? <laughs> when an attorney laughs, it's not a good thing. But, but a naive person like me would say, aren't there laws that these facilities have to follow? Yes. There are federal regulations and state regulations. The state regulations are more administrative in nature. The federal regulations are more clinical in nature. They and when, do, you, when you say administrative, please can you define that for us. Sure. If the power goes out, you have to notify the Department of Health. Uh, your administrator can only uh, work in one facility at a time if the facility has X amount of beds, things of that nature. Okay, but that's not directly related to patient care. Correct. The federal regulations are more clinical in nature as a general rule. The reality is it's a binder. It's quite thick. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of federal regulations they have to follow. The State Department of Health in New Jersey is the one that regulates these nursing homes. Uh, they have to get at least an annual reinspection that comes about the same time of the year. So uh, it's once a year. That's right. And assisted living facilities is every other year. Wow. So, the, and, and these are usually not surprise inspections? 
right? So, <laughs> You're laughing again. You've got no. So <laughs> they're supposed to be unannounced. That's what the papers will say: unannounced visit. But they're annual, so generally they're going to happen around the same period of time every year. You okay. generally have an idea. And the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, they're the mm -hmm. ones that promulgate the federal regulations. Uh, that's also the biggest payor for nursing homes is Medicaid and Medicare. So they have to report all this data back to CMS, and uh, especially at survey time. But look, let's be honest. If you know you're getting surveyed around a certain time of the year, you can certainly make amendments or prepare for the survey mm -hmm. coming. CMS has tried to assist with this, in particular with the area of staffing. They have to provide daily staffing patterns to CMS every day. Uh, but candidly, I depose administrators that don't even look at this data. I look at it when something bad has happened. I go, I pull all kinds of data. There's a lot of data floating around out there. And I describe it kind of like uh, the matrix, right? Uh, no one knows how to read it. It's in these giant spreadsheets, but I know how to read it. And you can point out serious problems within the data. Uh, but a lot of times I wind up deposing administrators. They don't even look at the data, nor do their staffing coordinators or their corporate uh, parent companies. Yeah, so they probably look at, I'm, I'm going to be really cynical here and say they look at the spreadsheets that show profit and loss and cash flow. But, That's you right. know, if you, if you have a loved one in a facility, um, you're less concerned with the profit and loss. You want your loved one well taken care of. Right, and I never fault a business for making money. That's mm -hmm. what a business does. Yep. But the, the, you have this tension, and when you're skewed far too f in, into the profit realm at the expense of, th of these vulnerable people, that's a real problem. Okay, and so when you say, when I, when I ask what kind of things will go wrong, you, you said, well, things related to care, usually related to short staffing. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit, but can, can you be a little bit more specific? What, should, what, do, what do you look for? So most of the claims I handle now are what common, uh, commonly referred to as bed sores. They're called pressure injuries or pressure ulcers. And this is a great example of understaffing at work. So you get a pressure injury from unrelieved pressure. So this is somebody who is bedridden or chair-ridden and can't get up and move on their own. That's right. And mm -hmm. uh, they call it bed mobility, mm -hmm. or the person might be chair-fast. That is, they can't, they can't shift their weight. And people do it without even thinking about it all the time. The standard of care says every two hours you got to shift weight and take it off these pressure points because it, if you, uh, look, you're a doctor, right? You don't get blood to these areas. Yeah, blood carries it. oxygen. The tissue dies. It's very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Analysis. And the people that do the turning and repositioning are generally poorly paid certified nurse aides, and they don't have enough of them in the building. So they're, they're, not, they're not even RNs or BSNs or nurse practitioners, certified nurse aides. They're generally the ones tasked with turning and repositioning in, yeah. in the world of pressure ulcers. Okay. They're considered what we call ADLs or activities of daily living. Yeah. And these tasks are, are typically left to CNA, which, by the way, is a very difficult job. Mm -hmm. Certified nurse aide is a very hard job. Uh, you, they do the bathing, incontinence care, uh, turning and repositioning, grooming, taking uh, them to the dining hall or feeding people, which is a very labor-intensive activity. Mm -hmm. And when these things aren't getting done, like turning and repositioning, falls off the radar and because they don't have enough people to do the work. And then all of a sudden their residents start developing pressure injuries. Right. And, and what's important to point out, and this is going to be a theme that I can see us coming to throughout um, today's program, is that these are also patients who have lost the ability or can't, for whatever reason, uh, practice self-advocacy. That's right. And so, you know, if you come in and see grandma and grandma is laying in bed, you, you, you don't see her rump. You don't know 
if she's got a sore spot, a hot spot. I guess they call them hot spots mm. for bed sores. You don't know. You're not, you know, you don't rolling know. your grandmother over and saying, let me look. No, and a lot of times, because nursing homes know that these things shouldn't happen, so a lot of times the staff don't want to tell the families. And you, a yeah. lot of times I've had cases where the family learned when their dad goes to the hospital for debridement surgery for an infected pressure wound. That's where they're going to have to cut all the dead tissue uh, out of the wound and cut into the living tissue all around. It's, it's horrendous. And I also, I, I, I know from when my mother was in a, in a nursing facility, um, you know, I sort of had a work schedule. And so I would show up at specific times related to my work schedule. And I could tell that the people knew when to anticipate my arrival. That's right, especially yeah. if you're a squeaky wheel. Yeah. Well, and, and, and people are in a really bad position because no one wants to be there. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been in many, many nursing homes in my life, but I've never been to one where there's a sign over the door that says, congratulations, you made it, right? So generally speaking, it's not planned, right? You're there because you don't want to be there, and the families uh, don't want to rock the boat. They, they're afraid to, mm-hmm. to, to cause problems because they can only be there one or two hours a day or if they're lucky. Sometimes if there's a retired spouse, they spend most of the day there. But a lot of times that's not the case. And ultimately, they are completely dependent on the staff to provide the care. So they'll do things like they'll leave a candy dish out. They give them gift cards at Christmas, the staff, mm-hmm. just so that they, they're doing what they can to, yes, feel some security that when they're not there, they're being taken care of. And it's very difficult when they're put in a position where they have to start advocating for their for their parent or spouse, and they don't want to cause trouble. They don't want. That's the phrase I hear. I didn't yeah. want to rock and, the boat. And, and having gone through it before my mother passed away, you but you nailed exactly what I was. Is I wanted I wanted them to know who I was. I wanted them to know that my mother was not abandoned in the nursing home. But I was also very conscious about not wanting to rock the boat, so they would continue to do at least the best care possible for my mom when she was in a skilled nursing facility. And you, you, what you said nailed exactly what my experience was, as was what I mentioned. When I realized that they were figuring out when I was coming, mm. I started coming at unusual hours um, just to just to sort of see um, what was going on when they didn't test me. And so I just want to put it in perspective. This is throw numbers at you. I found numbers that said over about three and a half million people in our country are in skilled nursing facilities. So we're talking about a problem, this, an issue or issues that are big and are going to get bigger. And we'll talk a little bit more about these things after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. From healthcare to the environment around us and everything in between, Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences, is here expanding your knowledge and perspective. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Colonius Public Health Studios. You're listening to Health 411. Today's segment, we are here with Michael Bruska, an attorney here in Mercer County, whose expertise is in nursing home law and is sort of a a plaintiff's attorney for elder abuse is is another way of saying it. And in the break, Antonia, you had a question for, um, for, for Michael. What was it? Yeah. So there aren't any laws or regulations or anything that protect the people in the nursing homes against, like, say a family member comes in, right, and rocks the boat or advocates, sorry, advocates for their family member. There aren't laws that say just because that happened, 
Like so, you, so, you so, still so the have nursing provide... home equi equivalent of a um, a whistleblower protection kind of thing. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting idea. So, I would say to your specific example, no, there are not laws that are focused on the advocate. the The laws and regulations regarding nursing homes are all uh, centered around the resident, mm -hmm. and the regulations also address what the nursing homes have to do or not do. And basically, those federal regulations are the minimum standards that if they're going to accept Medicare and Medicaid money, they have to meet these minimum requirements. So something as direct as what you're talking about, that does not exist in, in, the, in directed towards the family as advocates. We do have uh, in New Jersey a resident rights statute that people in nursing homes are afforded specific rights. But I have to say, the statute is difficult to enforce and is poorly written. So that's another issue on my personal hopper that I'm trying to work on now is trying to fix this law that we do have. But to answer your question, no, uh, unfortunately, not to not that it would give an advocate a sense of peace, more or less. Hmm. Hmm. So obviously, be, your area of, of law expertise gets called in when things go wrong. Right. right? Um, and, and so I'm going to take a step back from that and, uh, and we'll get to some more details. But are all nursing homes, especially the skilled nurse, are they equal? Or are there no, differences? There are differences. <laughs> oh my God, I'm making the, the attorney smile again. That's now good. I'm worried. So, so, so can you please tell us a little bit? like? Um... Sure. So there's about 400 nursing homes in the state of New Jersey okay. right now. And I would say that I probably have the same 100 cases against defendants. That, so, that so is... The names of certain nursing homes come up again That's right. and again That's in, right. in your practice. That's but right. I'm gonna, but I'm going to be a devil's advocate and say, but aren't they all following the same laws? Shouldn't they all be following the same rules? Well, yes, but in the end, when you talked about that tension of profit versus delivering care, and there's some that put more attention on the profit aspect of things versus others. Uh, for example, you could look at a nonprofit has the same federal regulatory mm -hmm. scheme that they have to follow that a for-profit nursing home has to, but at the end of the year, the administrator of the nonprofit nursing home goes to the board of directors and says, hey, we made $1 this year in profit, and everyone claps their hands and say, good job, Cindy. And then <laughs> then that same administrator in a for-profit nursing home goes to his owner and says, well, we made a dollar this year. They're getting fired. And now the next administrator comes in, and they're going to know what the focus is. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is there are ways that they make them very profitable outside of just what people typically think. Like, here's a great example. For example, they may say, why do we own this building? We need to sell this building to a corporation we're going to form right now, and then we're going to start paying ourselves rent. Mm -hmm. And now, instead of this money from Medicaid coming and going to hire CNAs or or whatever it happens to be, it's going <laughs> it's out to rent. rent. rent yeah. And this isn't like uh, your college apartment of $400 a month. This is like, yeah, you know, I have one now is three point some odd million dollars a year in, quote, rent, close quote. Right, but, yeah, but rent is a legitimate business expense. Right. I mean, people that. ask me, is it legal? Yes, I. It's legal, but uh, ultimately, um, is it moral or ethical? That's mm. my dilemma personally. I mean, to me, I think when you're paying yourself pass-through income, uh, getting a tax benefit instead of delivering care to elderly people, that's a real problem. Right, and it's an interesting thing here is that the the businesses that you're up against are businesses that, I guess, when somebody interviews them to potentially bring in a family member there. What they talk about is care. They talk about 
how we're going to take care of your loved one. We're going to help them. We're going to assist them. We're going to, in a sense, give them what they need to live out their lives in dignity, even if they can't take care of themselves. Am, right. I, am I saying the words that, that these places use? Oh, yeah. Can I tell you, here's a conversation <laughs> that will not happen in the state of New Jersey. Okay. Uh, before you give us the custody of your mom, who you love dearly, mm-hmm. you should know that our last survey was terrible uh, and that currently we're understaffed uh, about one hour per patient per day. So just before you give us your mom, you should know this information. That conversation <laughs> yeah. is not going to happen in any nursing home in the state of New Jersey today or probably in the country. Mm-hmm. So that's right. That's right. And like I said, no one. a lot of times people go to skilled nursing, they start out as rehab. So mom or dad has mm-hmm. a fall at home, they break their hip, you go to the hospital, they're getting this huge surgery, and the family's thinking, oh, this is going to be in a hospital for a month. And after a day, the social worker comes to them with a list and says, where are they going for rehab? And you haven't even thought about this. And it's incredibly stressful. So most people pick a nursing home based on its location to their home. And that's it. That's the number one reason people pick nursing homes. For convenience. So for visit, yeah, so they can visit. Family, yeah. So then what happens then is they go to rehab, they don't do very well, and then they switch them over to long-term care. And the reality is that's how most people wind up in skilled nursing. Everyone comes from a hospital. Very, 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 very rarely, if ever, does someone go to a nursing home from home. They all come from a hospital. And ultimately, there's very little planning involved. There are resources out there floating around that people can look up to help them make a good decision. And I teach a class to people but, on but, how to stay out of my office. But Michael, having done it, the reality is, and what you just described is exactly what happened in my family, there is a... It's like a when you're coming out of a hospital or a rehab zone, there was a time component. It's like you don't have a lot of time to plan. You're looking for convenient, fat. You, you don't have time to like study no. all these sort of issues. And that's just the reality for a lot of different families. You're time pressured. It's yeah. totally the case. And look, when I was stationed in Japan in the military, one time I saw an old woman who was probably about 90 riding a three-wheeled bicycle down, a, down this road <laughs> with three cars patiently following her. That's wow. how they treat the elderly. With respect. Yeah. It's very different in this country. I mean, no one wants to say it, but when you get down to it, a lot of it is is this issue. And I feel like they 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 push them out the door. They're into a rehab environment. You haven't even had a chance. So you do your best to visit first. Is that really that difficult? Like, can mm-hmm. I go see the place before my mom gets mm-hmm. sent down there in an ambulance? They put a stack of documents in there. Uh, one of the big issues now is arbitration, where you give up your right to sue in that 20-page document, and, and and these are getting enforced in our courts. And and then you're you're at their, they're the ones providing care. You're at their mercy. Right. And and like who reads every line of those? Who or even that? Who vets it with an attorney before you sign that? Because you've you've got to get you know your family member in. Right. Right. Right away. You're not going to take a week to vet it with an attorney somewhere and have an attorney translate it into English for right. you. Right. And most people are on Medicaid, so they don't yeah. have a, yeah. a an attorney on on oh, standby. Yeah. <laughs> right. They don't <laughs> have their guy on retainer because they're on Medicaid. Uh, that's a whole other issue. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the arbitration and uh, which uh, actually the uh, uh, CMS under the Obama administration had banned them outright, and that that got paused in a court in the South. Okay. And we had an election, and we have a new CMS, and mm-hmm. the new CMS says they're not going to appeal that, and they're considering making arbitration okay for facilities to make it a condition on admission. That is, you can't come in unless you sign oh, the arbitration wow. agreements. Right. Wow. Right. 
Now, would that be, I, I know, I don't, I guess you're right. The laws are changing. At one time, um, uh, nursing homes would do sort of a, uh, an asset assay, sort of investigate your ability. That's Medicaid. Oh, that's Medicaid. And they still do that. They yes. still, and so that's one thing that can keep somebody out. Well, you, usually what they'll do is they'll start out as private pay and then shift Switch to Medicaid. And right nursing homes all have a social worker, and that person's one of their primary functions is to be sure that the Medicare or the Medicaid application mm. gets completed and sent off. Okay. So you mentioned in your thing the conversation that you're never going to hear. Correct. So what are some of the red flags that somebody could look for when they're sort of under pressure and, and, and investigating a possible nursing home for their for their family members? So uh, CMS recognizes that. This is an issue. So they have a nursing home compare website, and nursing oh, homes get okay. starred between one and five stars. One is bad, five mm. is good, and you can kind of get an idea. So some of these are some of these government agencies have public records online. Oh yeah, is what, is what you're saying. Is they that, all do. It's yeah. just what can you get and what's readable. Like I said, a lot of stuff I get is data on huge spreadsheets. But what mm. the CMS nursing home compare website is something that's designed for the public that okay. the public can see. It doesn't guarantee a good result, but it's a good place to start. Okay. And you can go within a, a radius, a, a mile radius of a specific town, and get all the nursing homes in that in that radius, and they'll have their one to five star rating. And they in different categories, I assume. There's three subcategories and then an overarching five star rating. So if you spend some time doing some background legwork, you can, you can find this out. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sort of flipping here. I can imagine some people spending more time researching the car they're going the next car they're going to buy right. than, than where they're going to put their loved one potentially for you know, years in a, in a skilled nursing facility. Right. Well, most mm -hmm. make the decision off the social worker's list at the Recom hospital. The recommendation. And they think that it's, it's some kind of sanction. And think um, or that they're all the same. That's like, right. Like I said, because the laws are the same everywhere. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Um, we will follow up this conversation. Unfortunately, I have to take some breaks for underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronxcom live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp, your host, here with Antonia and our guest, Michael Bruska, an attorney at Davis & Bruska, um, whose expertise is in elder law and dealing with nursing homes and elder abuse. And in the break, we were talking a little bit about things. And, um, you know, I mentioned, oh, if you have, you know, Antonia, if you have a grandparent who might be going into a nursing home, you should take one of Michael's cards and put it up on the wall just so that, you know, they, they, they know that there's an attorney connection here. And you shared an interesting story in your own family. Right. Yeah. yeah. My my uh, my who would be my grandmother in law was in a rehab and the place was substandard and she was there for rehab from. A surgical procedure and so the TV was broken and the phone didn't work and so my mother-in-law went and printed out my bio off of my firm website and brought <laughs> it in and gave it to the nurses and said this is my son-in-law you better do a better job and she did uh, you know, suddenly the phone worked. that's and, right and, and, that's and right things just sort of happened and it's and, and it's just like putting out candy or giving Christmas cards that you mentioned in, in an earlier segment and it's sort of unfortunate that that has to happen or that's right or can happen that's right. Um, when families come to see me, they're at a really low spot because, mm -hmm. first of all, no one wanted their mom or dad to be there. Mm -hmm. 
they've gotten a really bad outcome. They really feel tremendous guilt and shame about it. And I just tell them, you didn't do anything wrong. It's one of the first things I tell them. You didn't do anything wrong, and it is not unreasonable to expect that they're going to do the minimum standards so that your parent or your spouse can live out the rest of their life dignified, mm-hmm. not with a hole in their back or a mm-hmm. broken hip or a fractured skull or brain bleed or whatever. Right, or not being kept clean, not being right. fed or, you know, verbally or physically abused. I mean, I can imagine the kind of things that go that go on when, you know, you're, you know, on the majority of the 24 hours every day when no one's there. That's right. And I wish I could quote it verbatim, mm-hmm. but there's this great quote from Florence Nightingale about when you get bad outcomes, and she uses bed sores in particular, that a lot of it is an ex- it's not extensive medical care. It's just good nursing. Right. In that case, care. it's rotating people, moving pressure points. Keep them clean and keep dry. Keep them clean, yep. Right. I mean, we're talking low standards here, and unfortunately it can't happen when you don't have enough people mm-hmm. in the building to provide the level of care that people need, and that's really what it comes down to. When you get down to the root of all my, all my cases, it's about understaffing. Yeah, and, and what we all want for our family members is aging with dignity. That's right. No matter what your mental or physical state may be, we all want to age with dignity. No, and I tell people, when, when this person is not a stack of medical records on a table. Mm-hmm. This was a Korean War vet. This mm-hmm. was a this person served in World War II. This this person raised three children as stay at home mom and, and raised you know three mm-hmm. doctors in New York or. They were involved in their community, and they lived a life. And on, when you see them at the very end, you, you see someone who's suffering cognitive impairment, physical disabilities. And uh, I always want to remind people, that's not the sum total of this person. This person lived a life, mm-hmm. and they contributed to a community, and they were valued and loved by many, many people. And they're not some stack of nursing home records. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Life. Even if the person can't communicate later in their life, I mean, they did contribute to society, help many people in a very positive way. That's right. And um, I mean, as you're highlighting some of the abuses that happen, um, they probably don't happen everywhere. There probably are some nursing homes that never show up on your radar. There are. And and then and and that's great. And that's that's a wonderful thing. Um, And you use the word minimum standards. And Mm. I think none of us want really our loved ones treated with just the minimum. We would like, you know, it's like if you get like, you know, a 61, you pass. Right. But nobody really wants, you know, you don't feel good about going to school if you get a 61 in every class. That's right. But technically, you've passed, you know. Um, last you, 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 last <laughs> lawyer, to, the guy that scored last on the bar exam still passed it, right? That's He's right. Still that, a lawyer. That's right. right. Whoever goes last. Um, so none of us want that. And, and, and when you mentioned earlier, you have this, you know, the care versus the business of it. And... I, I'm, I'm almost, I don't really know, but I'm pretty sure you're not suggesting that we turn over nursing home facilities to the state in some sort of socialism model. I mean, there's still a business model where people can make money oh, there definitely taking is. care of our elderly population. There definitely is. There's yeah. several that are nonprofit, even uh-huh. within this county, that never come up on my radar. In fact, one let me go in and lecture on resident rights. <laughs> oh, to the residents. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they let me come in there, and I've never a, had a case in 10 years. I've, I, that's a great uh, sign, by the way. It's a fantastic sign. Yeah. Here's some other good resources. Like, for example, nursing homes have to report quarterly their staffing data to the state of New Jersey. And if you, you – I wish I knew the website off the top of my head, but if you put into Google the New Jersey quarterly nursing home staffing reports, you can pull up that particular facility – for three shifts for the nurse aide, LPN, licensed practice mm-hmm. nurse, and registered nurse, uh, their ratios versus the statewide average. Okay. And, I mean, I have some now on the night shift where they have over 100 residents per RN. 
Oh, yeah. Well, that sounds like a lot to me. Right. Yeah. Right. For those that can't see this, Antonio, it's the offer chair. No, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so that's, and that, one, that's one individual who's responsible at, at night for 100 One patients, registered nurse. So what you will patients. see, though, it, when you want to boost this profit model is they, they, they go very high on licensed practical nurses and low on RNs. Okay. Now, licensed practical nurses are nurses, in, in, but they have a very limited scope of practice, and they cannot do a lot of things. And a lot of my cases right now are dealing with fact patterns where they had too many LPNs and not enough RNs in the building. Because when you look at how Medicare thinks you should staff the building, it's high in RNs and low in LPNs. But when you see this business model, they flip that around oh, because LPNs cost less. Less money. And they use them like RNs. So you have unqualified nurses taking, doing assessments, missing infections, and that's what happens. Uh, I have several cases right now where that's happening. And so as a consequence, they use LPNs like RNs. Like, for example, New Jersey regulations are clear. RNs shall not delegate physical assessments, period. It's really unambiguous. But they do okay. it all the time. And when you get in there and you start deposing these people, some of the directors of nursing don't even know that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, interesting, because they've done it. Right. right. Interesting. Wow. And these are a lot of things, and, and you're, you're being very modest, but you also teach. Yeah. Um, and you, said you, you mentioned you teach um, residents of some of these facilities what they're aware of, but you also teach lawyers. That's right. About this sort of booming field. Can, can you tell us a little about that? Right. I'm not very proprietary. I mean, so one thing I like doing is learning new things all the time. And so this is no different. So there's a group of probably 20 of us in the country that are trying to drive this field and learning about new data sources. And when you say drive it, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm (laughs) I might be wrong here, but let me make an assumption. You're not driving on it that you want these abuses to continue, so this field of law booms. Right, right. no. <laughs> you're, no. Not, you're not on that side of the equation. No, I'm not, okay. no. It's about, it's about how do we, like, for example, with the data, a lot of people don't know how to read that data, including lawyers. I teach lawyers, like, here's the data that's out there, and here's how to read it. Because ultimately, if you're going to handle these type of cases, I want you to do a good job. And so if I can assist other attorneys do that, I'm happy to do that. Because I feel like if they're doing... The, that family deserves an attorney that's going to have all the tools in their toolbox. They need to hold that nursing home accountable, period. And so, yeah, I teach attorneys. I taught, I don't know, a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's important. Yeah. It's important. Uh, again, I'm going to assume you're coming from the idea that if there's more attorneys with expertise in this area, it will be a significant detriment to nursing homes pushing the envelope of what they can get away from, get, get away with. Right. What, what you don't. Right. Well, I would say if attorneys are going to do it, I just want to be sure that they have the tools they need to do it right. And whether or not there's more or less, I think there probably are more people than even when I started doing it. Mm -hmm. There's still not a lot of, there's very few people that are solely focused in this area of law. There's not many of us, even nationally. Okay. I'm on the executive committee for a national organization and we have about 400, 500 members. But ultimately uh, that, that idea of making sure that everyone knows what's out there so that you can hold them accountable. Because, look, I tell my clients when they come to my office, I can't get them what they want. I can't bring your mom or dad back. I can't give them a better outcome than they had. I can't change the past. I can try to give you some answers because most people don't even know what happened. Mm-hmm. And I can try to get them some measure of accountability. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I can, that's what I can deliver on. 
Mm-hmm. And I can deliver consistently on that. But aside from that, yeah. I'm limited. It, is there a value if somebody is thinking about putting a family member in a nursing home or has one there now and is even not aware to starting an early conversation with you to to go over red flags, to, to talk to somebody about, you know, what can I look for to make sure that, you know, let, let's try to do some preventative legal work. Is there some value in that? Well, I can tell you this. If you have concerns about the care, it can never hurt to call, ultimately. Whether or not there's negligence, most people don't even know. Uh, for example, if you have pressure ulcers or falls, repeated falls with fractures or infections that are going undiagnosed, mm-hmm. Dehydration, that's a clear sign of neglect. Malnutrition, I've had those before where a person's basically starved yeah. to death. I mean, if you have those things, yes, yeah, certainly those those kinds of things uh, you can bring to an attorney like me. And uh, whether or not that's uh, something that you want to resolve in, in the courts is one thing. I help a lot of families just make the complaints. I don't even charge them for it. Look, if, if something happened, it's not a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I help them make a complaint to the Department of Health. Mm-hmm. So at least it's on the, the state's it's radar. Right, it contributes to the data. Right. Somebody's there, gonna. Yeah. Somebody's looking at it, even yeah. though they didn't have perhaps a death or something like that. Yeah. So again, an educated consumer. That's right. An educated family here is the is the best thing. And um, that's right. You know, unfortunately, with a, a lot of things, um, you get I guess mostly involved after a, the the worst of the worst has happened. That's right. And that's sort of unfortunate. And, that's right. Um, I guess we have to. I guess as family members, we have to advocate for our loved ones because they can't do it for themselves anymore. That's, that's right. The state that we're in. And for every family I represent, I'm sure there's five where there is no advocate. And you just hope that you can do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So aging with dignity. I'm going to come saying that we all want that. That's right. Want that. And businesses should be allowed to be profitable and make money, but they have to treat our loved ones with dignity and care and respect. They deserve it. Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, we are running out of time. Mm -hmm. Um, This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're live from Killarney's Public House Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of the Ryder University Health Studies Institute's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of healthcare. I hope today's program has helped inform you about skilled nursing facilities and some aspects of the problems that go on there under the term of elder abuse. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Michael Bruska, an elder abuse expert attorney at Davis and Bruska here in Mercer County. If you have questions and or comments about this program or the Health Studies Institute at Ryder University, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for the opportunity to come on your show. Thank you for taking the time to listen to your health with Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Karp is here from Rider University's Health Studies Institute every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information about the Health Studies Institute's programs, Call 609-896-5093. That's 609-896-5093. Or find their webpage on rider.edu under academics and academic programs. Be sure to tune in every week to expand your knowledge and perspective. And don't forget to stay healthy.